Hello and welcome to this week's review for Movie Magpies, where we will be rating The Prestige. I'm Monique, and I'm here with my co-host Will. How about we just get right into it? Alright, for the people who don't know, Monique, what is The Prestige? Well, the Netflix summary of The Prestige is, Desperate to reveal each other's secrets, two rival magicians begin to perform increasingly risky tricks, which soon turn deadly. Basically, it's a movie that sort of looks into, I guess, the behind the scenes of very early magic tricks. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to say that the summary just... It, I don't think the Netflix summary does justice to what this film is or tries to achieve. I think there's a great deal more and, and the summary is quite vague, but ultimately The Prestige is basically a film about two rival magicians trying to one-up each other while also trying to fuck each other over for various reasons, but ultimately that's the the main basis of the film with the added caveat that one of the magicians has just debuted a new magic trick that is going to rule the scene of magic for years to come. Mm-hmm. And, and the other wants to get their hands on it as a form of revenge for something that happens quite early on in the film. Yeah, it's super interesting. I find that a lot of summaries for more in-depth films like this never quite hit the mark anyway. Yeah. Because, of course, this film does, like I say, explore more of the behind the scenes. It also explores how this friendship turns sour and sort of, I suppose, ruined the relationship between these two men as their rivalry became less friendly and more destructive yeah it it was i think even early on from the beginning of the film it was less about competition but more about revenge in certain sections of the film and i think we should just break down these points by talking about the two main characters angia played by our very own Hugh Jackman, Mm -hmm. and Borden, who is played by Christian Bale. Both of these characters have a very strong passion for magic, and as a result, one of the leading points in this film is the death of Angie's wife, which is caused by accident at the hands of Borden. As a result, this leads to a butterfly effect of both of these magicians one-upping each other and impeding their shows. Yeah, it's super interesting how they devolve because in the very start of the film, of course, we see them being quite friendly to each other. They're laughing, they're joking, and this film does a really good job of foreshadowing what's going to happen. And I think one of the things that foreshadows the wife's death is when they're talking about knots yeah and the way that they're tying them and if anything happened and that knot slipped or it was too tight she's not going to get out of there she'll really hurt herself she could well, even die Michael Caine says it's not a this the knot that they that Borden is proposing they use which is a more useful knot or a more versatile knot he he says the line it's not a wet knot which uh infers that the knot reacts differently when soaked in water but then Angie's wife reassures Michael Caine's character stating that she can untie that knot don't worry it'll be fine but there's this breakdown in communication that becomes a tense foreshadowing to the next events in the moment where she does die because she can't untie the knot but no one knows which knot they tied because in the heat of the moment and of course everything that happens nobody really 
remembers or yeah. can tell. And I think I think this story does a really good job of presenting foreshadowing information in a way that on a first viewing can build a sense of tension on a second viewing increases that more so and i think it's going to be the one thing that i say most about this film is that this film is great on a first viewing it is monumentally better on a second viewing i in fact hadn't seen this movie before we decided to watch it Hmm. so we watched it once together and then i in my own time just before recording actually watched it again specifically so that i could get that second time experience and also of course if you're watching a film critically and taking notes on it you sometimes miss things because you're too busy burying your head in your keyboard which for me was really really interesting i immediately saw what you meant with some of those more foreshadowing yeah times and i think the film does a really good job of putting its foreshadowing elements right in front of your eye yeah without the viewer realizing it's that sort of magic trick of yeah, that was exactly plain what I was sight. Say. yeah which really helps yeah. echo the I whole think, vibe of the film yeah i think it does a i think the film does a really good job of remaining consistent to its subject matter in that a lot of the use of narrative and story building aspects in this film are done in a way that mimics the illusionist's repertoire or presentation and I think that's really really cool and a lot of fun and really adds so much more depth to this film in a way that of course it pro- that being said without it it wouldn't ruin the film but like it just makes this film so much more than it is than it seems on the surface and definitely more than the Netflix summary gives off because we don't want to spoil anything in this review of course we want you to go and see it absolutely watch this film watch it again as well just because it just gets even better with the second time viewing but i wanted to ask you Mm. with this dynamic of rivalry between two magicians played by two strong actors christian bale and hugh jackman how do you think that dynamic went how what do you feel about the chemistry between hugh jackman and christian bale just as actors and maybe as characters if you feel like answering that too well, obviously, as characters, that's probably something I would leave more to the in-depth, just because that's I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. But as actors, I think they might have gotten along pretty well. I feel like they're the type of actors where they have quite big personalities. Yeah. Of course, they're it's Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. Who, who are we talking about here? But I feel like they would have had that sort of camaraderie, almost that the characters did in the first, you know... 20-30 minutes of this film where they were kind of ribbing at each other a lot you know like throwing jabs back and forth sure. but mostly just as something to do yeah I don't know really well, I hadn't thought about that that was yeah. a really good question <laughs> well for me I think between Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale I think the two mesh incredibly well together in a way that I don't know of any other film they've been in together past this one again this film came out in 2006 so they probably worked together again but I really like the chemistry between these two because it meshes quite well and there are certain points in this film where I think there is a little less chemistry between actors one point for example and I'm not blaming anyone for this but 
Hugh Jackman and David Bowie, I don't think have a strong chemistry with each other, and it can be passed off as anything, basically. David Bowie is a musician and not an actor, so ultimately I don't think it's a bad chemistry, I just think that David Bowie's not a really proficient actor, and this is quite a high-grade film, so ultimately... I will admit, when I saw Bowie in this film, I was like, oh, sweet, it's David Bowie. Excellent. And that, <laughs> and his acting did not matter at all for me, but in a purely critical analysis of the film, the acting is definitely slightly more noticeable from Bowie just because he's not quite as proficient at playing anything other than Bowie, who is this vibrant, incredibly interesting character, but then he has to play someone like Nikola Tesla, and it's just like, that's a man who actually existed. I think we were actually talking about this when we watched the film, yeah. and one of my quotes I think I said is, no matter what David Bowie's in, he's always going to make his character the most dramatic person, yeah. like, think, within context, because yeah. that's the thing, is everybody thinks of Tesla as this incredibly apt scientist, obviously. Yeah. It's, Nikola Tesla but the way that David Bowie played him was almost like he was at the whim of the oh, environment yeah. that he was studying and well, he had this very science, yeah. yeah he had this very dramatic way of playing a very straight-laced scientific character he still managed to make it seem a little bit otherworldly and yeah. it's just very amusing to me because oh, obviously yeah, he's not an actor I think even he commented on it and was like, uh, yeah. didn't you say that he had a quote or something that he didn't yeah, he talked about. Yeah, he talked about his role in this film. And he said, my accent was shit, but I enjoyed doing the film all the same. And I think that's just such a... I think that's a very Bowie remark. I personally really love David Bowie, just in general. And I really enjoyed him in this film, but it's it was just a overall kind of blanket analysis that... Ultimately, he knew that he probably wasn't very good in this, but he did it anyway. He had a really good time, and I think you can also just tell that. And I think what's really fun about this film and makes this film so much more enjoyable for me personally is that this is a star-studded cast, I think, but genuinely, like, very strong, dramatic acting cast. All of the actors in this know what they're doing. They're incredibly good at what they're doing. And then there's David Almost. Bowie, who's just like... Hello, I have a shit mustache and I'm having a good time. Which is super amusing because I think Nolan even almost handpicked yeah. Bowie for the part. Of course you would. Though. And couldn't imagine anybody else playing him because he was yeah. like, oh, and it's that's... such a small role, but I can't imagine anybody else doing it because yeah. it's still very integral. And I think that's very, very funny that it does have this kind of infamous or very famous cast yeah, about it. absolutely. But, while but they all mesh together really well and oh, you still yeah, get immersed well. in the film. And uh, before we shoot off into something else, I just want to quickly commend uh, Andy Serkis. We, this was during a time where he was more well known for his mocap work, but people forget that Andy Serkis is an incredibly nuanced actor. And my belief is that they pushed Andy Serkis into mocap because they're like, this guy's too good. This guy's too <laughs> powerful. Put him into mocap. Make him Gollum. Make him... I don't remember the ape's name from Planet of the Apes, but make him an ape. Make him do all these other things. Get him... Keep, thing? him keep him busy, and then he won't be acting, because he's great. Because <laughs> he's a little yeah. too good. 
and I'm not, and we're not okay with that. Amazingly, the thing about Andy Serkis is that he's just got such clear expressions, which mm. makes him really good at acting. Of course, it makes him very good for mocap because it makes it very easy to capture the expression. Sure, but he yeah. does a really good job of having a very almost more stage rather than movie expression, but he never comes off as like over dramatic or like too expressive. Yeah, he does I a really good a job really of balancing the it. two. And I guess you end up in mocap if you have that type of face because it does make it much easier to sure. capture that. But he really doesn't just have the expressions. He also has the acting to go underneath it. It's not just that his face makes these gorgeous expressions. It's that you can believe that it's the character who is feeling whatever they're feeling in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think... We'll move on from the actors and the characters as a whole. I think we definitely get a good point there, across there, but we'll discuss them more in depth in our in-depth review if we feel like doing so. But I want to say just quickly, in terms of cinematography, I don't think there's a whole lot there to criticise. I think it does a lot well with what it has. I think its standout cinematic aspect is its use of lighting, as we're given a great variation of light to convey meaning, mood, and atmosphere without compromising the film's overall presentation. I think the film maintains a very consistent visual style, but what makes it stand out is its use of lighting and its use of light as a whole. So in this film, there are some very visually dramatic scenes that are only visually dramatic because of the way that the light is cast or the way that they have presented the light. I was actually going to bring up this point as well for a slightly different reason. I noticed that there's a lot of warm tones in this movie and less under a different type of light, e.g. the moonlight or Tesla's light specifically. Yeah. As my sort of two ways of categorizing. This movie is very, very warm toned, but it still manages to convey nighttime and daytime very differently. It still manages to convey time of day, mood, setting, without really compromising that colour palette in the more warm, quote-unquote, vintage vibes of the film. Well, yeah, that's the very thing I wanted to say, in that this film is based around the end of the 19th century. So it maintains a more tungsten-based lighting system because that's, for the most part, all that modern, all, all that housing had it during that period of time. So it maintains a very consistent visual lighting style based on the time, mm, mm-hmm. but then it also doesn't compromise atmosphere and mood by using that more, I'm not going to say, I would say synthetic, but I might say more, more LED based or unnatural lighting fluorescent kind of lighting in points where it's needed so the tesla experiments and the tesla lighting field which i think is a really incredibly cool visual moment but it reminds me of going to questacon and seeing all of their cool science experiments which is exactly the vibe that you want of a scientist in a movie yeah absolutely i feel like we may need to explain but questacon for those who don't know because we (laughs) actually don't have primarily australian audience but questacon is basically a science exhibition company that provide well that has like very specific well it has buildings and venues that are dedicated to explaining science in a really interesting and fun way for kids 
Yeah, it's basically a school staple if you grew up in Australia and had your more formative educational years in Australia. It's one of those things where everybody goes to a field trip to go to the science museum because it's just so interesting that kids actually end up learning things. It's got that very mad scientist in a movie vibe while still being very safe and educational. Yeah, but you were going to lead on to something else, weren't you? Yeah, I was going to say moving on from the visuals for a more technical perspective. I wanted to know what you thought of the music in this movie. Honestly, the music is very take it or leave it. Mm. it the film doesn't stand out for its use of music. Its soundtrack, its score is very tailored to suit the film as much as it can without being overbearing. That's for Christopher Nolan's early period of filmmaking. That was pretty par for the course as long as he wasn't making something that already had an established history like the Batman films, and I think the focus is always more for Christopher Nolan on story. Once he started working with Hans Zimmer, that that story changed, like that background changed completely, and there was more emphasis on music. But for the prestige, it suits it well. I don't think if it actually had a very recognizable soundtrack that stood out, I don't think it would make the film any better or worse than it is. I mean, sure, you could argue that if it had if it had chumbawamba in the background it just wouldn't work (laughs) so ultimately it suits its needs it doesn't stand out it doesn't overstate its welcome it does what it does and that's fine ultimately yeah i think a quote was christopher coleman of track sounds he thought it was a perfectly fitting score but it was overwhelmed by the film and it goes really unnoticed at times. That's why I wanted to ask you about it, because yeah, it really almost feels like there's no music in this film unless you're listening for it. Hmm, pretty much. I don't think the film's there to tell a further story or reinforce the story. I think it's there to reinforce the atmosphere of the film, so it doesn't mm. need to be in there too much. Mm-hmm. And I think for the sum of its parts, it does that job incredibly well, because you don't notice it, but it still helps elevate the film. So, yeah, yeah I think... For the most part, it's not amazing, but it's also fine. You know, it still works really well. But with the conversation of music, I wanted to jump over to another thing. A very, like, very much a staple of Christopher Nolan's directing style and his movies is that he primarily uses practical effects for his films. You might have to go a little bit more in depth for me there. Yeah, so, well, for, for its time... The Prestige doesn't do anything wildly new, but with Christopher Nolan, like, with his later films, including Interstellar and Inception, he uses practical effects for many of his more visually striking scenes, such as the city flipping over on top of itself. That is not a fully practical effect, but most of it is done in a practical way, so that it actually is done with, I don't know, this per- like... Exactly, but done with practical models and practical sets. So a better example, actually, is the spinning room in Inception that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a fight scene in. That's an actual corridor that's been built onto a rig that turns. Oh. But with the prestige, getting back to the prestige, we'll talk about Inception at a different point. But (laughs) it primarily uses a great deal of practical effects. So effects that are actually built practically into the world and the only real uses of CG or visual effects or VFX is the 
lightning effects because if you, in in the prestige if you actually use that we would have had Hugh Jackman be struck by lightning and that's not good. No yeah, one wants that. Yeah, that would have ended real bad for Hugh. Yeah. But the tricks themselves are all practical other than the bird crushing stuff because no animals were actually hurt in the making of this film that would be fucking terrible. Yeah, this movie is a really, really beautiful movie, but it does have some very explicit scenes, and one of the more upsetting ones is... A bird being bird. crushed. Yeah. Well, it doesn't get crushed. You, you see the cage close, like, snap shut, and then you see Borden dispose of a dead bird into a bin, basically. Yeah, but so... A lot of this stuff is done practically, including the stage drops where one of the magicians will disappear off the stage and they basically just dropped onto well, Angier is dropped onto a pile of padding mm-hmm. to soften his fall, but all that stuff is actually done, is done practically in a way that, as a result, this film was made in 2006, it ages incredibly well, because, because it doesn't there's rely... there's not a lot of CGI, yeah. Well, there's practically no CGI in this, which it's is... It's really only really the good. lighting that's sometimes CGI. Yeah, as a result unlike some of the other films of this time, 2006, it ages phenomenally well. And also as a result, you actually get a better chance as an audience member to see the background of the magic and the illusions that are being performed because they have to make them practically real and make sure that they actually work in a practical way. So that also provides them with the great benefit that they can also show behind the scenes within the film as realistically as possible. And you get to see how the sausage is made in terms of the illusions that Angie and Borden are performing without a way of making it feel like we're pulling back the curtain of the entire film. And I like that. I like that so much. And it's what makes this film so much more interesting is because it's so intricate in the way that it is depicted. You can see all the way back into how the magic is performed by the performers and by the magicians and so when it comes to the stage shows you know what's going to happen in terms of the mechanics of the trick Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't work the way it's supposed to then you know partially why that is and i think that's great i think it's really really cool it is really well done i think i wouldn't have realized that this film was as old as it was unless i had the number out in front of me just because it has aged really well yeah exactly And really the only other reason that you can tell that it's this old is because it's got very famous actors in it and we're all very aware of what they look like nowadays, so you're like, oh, they look a bit young. I would would also argue that many of the actors in this have aged remarkably well. Oh, they've all aged remarkably well. They're all still consistently beautiful people, which is great for them. Actors always are. But for... <laughs> for true. Hugh Jackman specifically, I'm thinking, of course, of his franchise as Wolverine yeah, and true. how very he didn't he didn't necessarily they... age specifically. He got he just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's and, it's it's weird <laughs> to see angrier. him. Yeah, it's weird to see him looking less young and more just unburdened. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that's because Wolverine is a very burdened char- character, yeah, both that's in. Fair muscles and in torment but it's yeah. just you know you see him and you're like oh he's not got little frown lines you know like yeah so. yeah that's that's fair enough not the whole like oh he's less big he's got less of the rippling muscles he's not the greatest showman yet 
and all yeah. that's tough. Yeah, that's Which, fair. very intriguing. I know that we said we'd stop talking about actors, but in we'll talk, The Greatest we'll Showman and this one, they're both very performative people yeah. who, at their core, are a, a, a little bit, if not a lot, deceptive, so... Yeah, absolutely. Keeping it more on this film, I do want to just quickly outline a criticism I do have as we, as I know that we're getting short on time. One of my uh, criticisms of this film is just that the format in which they tell this story is a little strange when you look at it on paper, in that it is a film that opens with a testimony from Michael Caine, which is always nice because Michael Caine's got a very nice voice, but it's a testimony and then it goes into one man reading the journal of a dead man Mm, mm -hmm. that predominantly is about that man reading the journal of the guy who's reading his journal i will say that this movie was very disjointed at times and sometimes it was very hard to follow the plot yeah and i think it, it it's done purely to maintain that illusionist style of storytelling and presentation it's definitely done by design it's just not my favorite design no absolutely and for me i can get past that but the idea that for the most part of this film we're just reading uh, the reminiscing of one character who reminisces about reading a book that is written by the first character and it's all in just kind of this like circular nature where we keep coming back to them reading the journal of this guy who's reading their journal and it's just yeah you know it's borden is reading a journal that was written by angia who wrote the journal after decoding borden's journal so it's like yeah yeah. (laughs) what's yeah it just oh we're reading this feels a bit all over the place and it's also from two characters who are both magicians so they both have a habit and a nature of being Deceptive. Yeah, and their writing style is so ne- not at differential. Yeah, so we're never given the full facts, but you're just like, oh, cool, we're falling out of this moment, and then we're back to, you know, a prison cell with Borden reading the book that Angia wrote in, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's my only real gripe with the film, is just that this format could possibly have been done a little more seamlessly. Yeah, it's a little disjointed at yeah, times. That it does it well, but it's still disjointed. Style, I think. Mm, very true. But that that's the question that I have and I think because the film has come out and it was so widely successful, I will just state as a point of interest the film's budget was 40 million and it took home 109.7 million at the box office. So, incredibly Dang. successful. For, for its time and for what it presents. So ultimately this critique is really not a whole lot since the film is still successful and I think an argument to our point is definitely that it lends really well to the film's style. But with all that said, do we want to get our final thoughts out? I want to know what your rating for this one was, Will. Fair enough. For me, I thought, well, first of all, we are rating this film on a scale of top hats. You'll understand. You <laughs> watch the well, film, you'll understand listen why. To the, watch the film, listen to the in-depth discussion. It will become very apparent why that's our rating system. Yeah, well, if you watch the film, you're going to understand. <laughs> Anyhow, but I gave it a 7 out of 10. The film is genuinely really enjoyable to watch. I think it's so much better on a second time through. Not saying that it falls short in any kind of capacity, but I think this film is 
so much more enjoyable on a second time through in the the way that first time through you're watching you go that was pretty good i really like that and second time through you're like i noticed all the really nice intricate foreshadowing this film is mm -hmm. so much better for that and so i would recommend watch the film if you haven't watched it already watch it through again because you're gonna love it the second time through i think what about you i rated this one eight out of ten top hats this film is one to me and i really value this that is worth the rewatch. It's a really, really good film when you first watch it, and when you get to the end of the film, you have a little bit of fulfillment about the foreshadowing, foreshadowing that you were able to pick up. But the second time round, it is a much more fulfilling experience as your little brain catches all of those extra details. So, yeah, absolutely. That's been our review of The Prestige. If you want to find us, I am on Twitter as Nexatai, and Will is on Instagram primarily as Will underscore Mortlock, yep. and on Twitter as Inc. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Please tune into our in-depth discussion. Uh, thanks for listening.